Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithloday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thomas Back Court. How you doing? I'm well tonight. Yourself? Not bad. Good. Uh so, um, what you've been covering a lot for us on the site uh, has been softball playing some fall ball. Uh, I, I, I guess I would call them friendlies. Um, they've... Uh, <laughs> They basically they've been taking on like every like community college and JUCO and and other you know university around the state that's not named uh, you know Oregon State or Portland State. Um, yeah, exactly. And and just demolishing them. I mean, I like it's kind of hilarious to read some of these scores. Um, and and they're sort of playing with like different variations on the rules. Um, and it's you know seems like it's a, a, a all a lot of fun. It does look like there was going to be a game against Oregon State, but that's been canceled. Yes, and and replaced, I guess you might say, with an intra squad uh, scrimmage, which is going to happen on November third. That actually might be some fun to go to. Absolutely, it's you know if the weather holds, and of course it won't rain actually in the stadium, but getting there, folks might get a little damp um, mm. on the way to the stadium. Um, they've uh, uh, you know they most recently uh, 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 swept a double header. Uh, do you learn anything interesting from that? Uh, for a Southern well, Southern Oregon University Mount Hood Community College, right? Yeah, the, the really the only important thing that came out of those two games was that Stevie Hansen got her first action in the circle for Oregon uh, mm-hmm. during the game against Mount Hood Community College. Do you uh, know why did, that changed? I, I believe uh, the only thing I can think of is she's had some kind of um, minor injury. Hmm. that uh, has has kept her from throwing because it's pretty unusual to sit out your ace pitcher for the entirety of even sort of a, as you as you called them I think friendly fall ball softball schedule well no- I guess 
But they, they haven't said anything official about that. No, no, no. And, and as usual, there's just not a lot of information, and, and I don't think there should be. Although it would be kind of nice, I guess, if they would say either injured or not injured, more like a more like a DNP coach's mm-hmm. decision as opposed to I couldn't play her even if I wanted to because she can't. Uh, but, it, you know, that would be valuable in trying to cover the team. But... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that she. There's been no announcement from the university. As I wouldn't expect there to be an announcement from the university about it. Uh, so, but, but apparently she was uh, feeling better. I guess uh, enough to throw a couple of innings in, in the Mount Hood game last weekend. So that was it. Was nice to see that. Well, I guess I was thinking there was a possible alternate explanation, which is that it looked like just from the scores. You know, that SOU and Mount Hood, MECC, you know, are, were a little closer to Oregon's level than the other teams that they played. Yes. You know, like these right. were not like 30 to zero blowouts. It was Correct. like six to zero. Right. Um, and so maybe they just like they said, Stevie, you know, to take a break. We want to look at all the other pitchers. But yeah. then in this game, they were like, all right, this is the closest you're going to get to real competition. So, Stevie, why don't you give it a shot? Um, you know, just to, you know, keep your arm loose or whatever. Uh do you think there, there, you know, that might be it, and it There's, doesn't it, have anything cert- to do with injuries? It's certainly a possibility, and and the scores indicate. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Southern Oregon and Mount Hood scored zero and one run, so it's not like they have you know murderers row of batters coming up to the plate against whoever was pitching for Oregon. But it's possible that you know we already know she. Stevie Hansen is a known quantity in the Oregon softball program. She's uh, was I, I would posit the, the best pitcher on the staff last year, despite her youth, mm-hmm. and probably will be the best pitcher come springtime again. So perhaps could the coaching staff needed to learn more. They do have uh, Morgan Scott, who's a transfer pitcher, so they they probably did want to give more innings to. The, the other pitchers on the staff to get a better sense of where they are in their development. So I think we saw three, right? We saw um, Scott, you already mentioned, uh, Allison Benning, and um, Reagan Breedlove. Right. Um, did we learn anything? Not particularly. Uh, I, you know, I, everybody looked, you know, again, going back to sort of the quality of the competition, everybody looked good to me. They were able to hit spots when they needed to hit spots. There were tons of strikeouts. I think they, the whole staff struck out 12 batters in, in the Mount Hood game. So, you know, they, they can do what the coaching staff wants to see is, can they do what we need them to do, depending on the batter. And I don't know how well, how much research the Oregon staff did into any of these teams that they played this fall regarding, you know, what the what the batters on those teams uh, have, a, have a tough time hitting or like the kinds of pitches they like to have served up to them. But it did give uh, them a chance to look at, can these pitchers put the ball where we need it? If we've got a particular batter that doesn't like them high and inside or will swing at rise balls frequently, even though they're not in the strike zone, can we throw that pitch when we need it to be thrown? And that those are the kinds of things I'm sure they were looking at uh, with, with the the other pitchers besides Hanson, who they know can do anything really that they need to have done. And it also puts the, the pitchers in a good like defensive 
position. They, there were several of these games where the Oregon pitcher had to field a comebacker that was moving pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just, just again, despite the competitive level, uh, you hit the ball back to the pitcher, it's not very far away. So it gave them a chance to play a little defense and work on location and work with the different uh, catchers that they're going to use during the course of the season and see if any particular uh, battery might spark a little more than than another one. So there's little things like that I think you can find out. It's, it's mostly just a, hey, let's get out there and warm up and run around and hit the ball and have fun. And, and they clearly did that. Well, it, you know, when I was thinking back to last year, you know, the thing that often seemed like, you know, Oregon would be in trouble was just like, there were so many injuries and, and other problems with the 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 bullpen that if somebody, you know, if a pitcher needed to be relieved, Oregon often didn't have the ability really to do that. You know, that somebody would still be on rest from the last game and they just didn't have, you know, another option, you know, yeah. to go to. Like they had to like tightly schedule out exactly who was pitching. And if somebody, you know, who's on the schedule was having a bad day, uh, which happens, you know, sure. like that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But like, but but then they like they'd have to stick with her because like well, we can't pull her even if we wanted to. So like if Oregon really does have a a bullpen of like four Pac-12 level you know pitchers, that's you know much more like a nominal situation where they can actually like move pieces around you know if they need to. Did you see any indication that that wouldn't be the case from from the friendly so far? No, I don't think so. I uh, given the the generally equal work that was given to the staff, not counting Hanson. I I think that's exactly what they're looking to do, which is what you just said, which is they've got to have, if you have a game where uh, somebody is not uh, up to par and needs to come out of the game and be replaced, you don't want to be thinking to yourself, man, we're really going to go down a little bit here on pitching. Uh, because frequently last season, at least, you know, Oregon's problem was they'd have a lead and couldn't hold it or mm-hmm. uh, that they, they were a little bit behind, but they just kept giving up runs every time that they'd rally and try to, to get the game back in their favor. So it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Coach Lombardi overload on as high a quality pitching as she can get for the coming season, given the results that she saw last year and then on offense you know reviewing the uh the list of players who were you know getting runs i'm seeing some familiar names like Paige sinicki ariel carlson um but some new names too uh did anybody stand out to you uh, among the newcomers uh, at the plate well the the uh the only signee the only freshman signee on the team this year um is a woman named remington hewitt and she got in and, and I believe hit a home run on her first at bat as an Oregon wow. Duck in one of, one of the games earlier this fall. So that's, a, you know, obviously that's what you like to see when your freshmen come in or they can just start contributing right away. And, and it's sometimes it's, I, I think as with most 
uh, kids that go from high school to a D1 college situation in almost any sport, sometimes there's a little bit of an adjustment period that has to happen. Uh, it, it Obviously, sometimes in football, there's more of it simply because of the size of the other players that are involved in the game, and the kids might have to bulk up a little bit before they're ready to compete. In softball, what you usually find is the, the problem is the speed of the pitching. Because you're, you, might, you might have somebody in your league in high school who throws hard, throws 60 miles an hour or something like that uh, on a fastball. But when you come into the D1 college level, everybody throws at that level. Yeah, right. So, or higher. So you've got, you have to uh, adjust your seeing of the ball as a batter to that faster speed. And, and also I would guess that they have more pitches. You have more pitchers that can throw a good uh, screw ball or a good change up or a good curve ball or a good rise ball. Uh, then you had perhaps what you saw in your high school career. So there's a lot of uh, adjustment, I think primarily that happens for the field players at the plate, as opposed to, to perhaps out in the field where the strategies might be approximately the same. The girls probably hit the ball harder in some cases. And so the outfielders might get more interesting work than maybe they got in high school. But your primary uh, thing that you have to adjust to is the, the better pitching and seeing it every game. Well, the uh, last of the fall ball is, as we talked about, the the intra-squad scrimmage uh, on uh, Thursday, next Thursday, November the 3rd, uh, 5 o'clock, in uh, Jane Sanders. Um, I mean, the other half of Oregon's softball team is the best team that they'll see during fall ball. Right. So exactly. um, <laughs> it should should actually be a pretty interesting game um, to, to go watch. Uh, uh, should, should be a good deal of fun. Um, all right. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk about uh, Oregon football's game against UCLA. Uh, well, this was a fun uh, return to Autzen after the bye week, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Definitely. There's, there's so many uh, stories outside the actual game itself. So many things happening. Chips return to Autzen. Uh, college game days return to Eugene. I mean, it's just like a million things going on. Uh, very exciting weekend in Eugene. Yeah, it might be Corso's last trip to Eugene. It sort of seems mm -hmm. like he's, uh, you know, probably going to retire in, in, in the next year or so. And and who knows, you know, when the next time game day will be back to Eugene. I mean, Oregon was really fortunate this year because, like, all four of their uh, or five, if you want to count BYU, you know, of their toughest games other than Georgia, you know, we're all in Autzen, right? Mm -hmm. You know, BYU, Stanford, who beat them last year, quote unquote, uh, um, right. <laughs> U UCLA, Washington, Utah, you know, all, all at home. So like, you know, the home crowd got got a really great slate and the, um, you know, the, 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 the Arizonas and the Colorado's are, are on the road, which like, you know, from a schedule making, you know, from, from like an ease of schedule perspective is great, but it's also great for the, the fans. Like they get to see great games. Uh, mm -hmm. 
and and, and, um, and next year, you know, it's the reverse because it's how, how it always works with Pac-12 scheduling. You know, like the the it's sort of you know looking like you know the the it's going to be a, you know a tougher road slate and a sort of snoozer of a of a home slate. So like I, I'm glad that the fans are getting it in where they can. Uh, there was also you know some discussion you know in both in the BYU and the Stanford home games. Uh, you know, the players were sort of dancing around and then like there were weird stuff was happening in the fourth quarter that Dan Lanning didn't like. And so he was like floating the idea of either like, you know, banning dancing, Dan Lanning bans dancing, uh, or like setting up a reward system. Like you can only dance if you earn it, which like that's right. like the plot of a movie. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I know everybody was into it. You know, this like if anybody had earned it, you know, it was definitely the ducks, you know, for, for this game, you know, maybe arguably their toughest game other than Georgia of the season. Um, and uh uh yeah and they looked great i i love the uniforms i know they're sort of somewhat divisive like i had some friends from the other part of the country where football is uh, more stodgy um they were just like oh these are hideous you know i'm just like <laughs> the fact that why you hate you, it makes it all the yeah. sweeter for me why you know? are you wearing more than two colors on your uniform yeah. how dare you <laughs> um so it's so bright like pink that doesn't have any place in football it says a, yeah. a, a penn state fan and i had to remind her of the history of that program yes. um yeah. anyway the um uh, anyway, the, I didn't have to. Anyway, right. uh, you took what, some pleasure in doing so. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's probably accurate. Um, so <laughs> the uh, I, I, you know, I wrote my preview article about the game um, about UCLA. I feel like I, you know, got it pretty right. Um, you know, I, uh, um, I was not expecting the onside kick. Right. Um, the, the although something along those you know like i when when i recorded our preview podcast with uh michael Hanna of the b team podcast um you know he was saying that 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 ucla was doing this exact same thing that oregon did regarding the coin flip and trying you know defer to the second half and then try to win the middle eight like mm -hmm. you know win a touchdown drive as time is expiring at the end of the second quarter and then get a touchdown when you get the ball you know for and then like you know suddenly be up by 14 point or or add 14 points to where you were the last time the opponent had the ball and then they have to like you know they they got to like pick up the pace they got to play you know uncomfortably um and so we were joking around like maybe you know maybe the coin flip will just determine the outcome of this game and then UCLA <laughs> wins it and I'm like oh no and you know um but then Oregon still won the middle third anyway or the middle uh four eight, eight minutes anyway because right. they they pulled off that like you know touchdown drive at the end of the second quarter and then UCLA got the ball, but Oregon limited them to their third field goal of the day. And then, you know, that was so, you know, still Oregon still won seven to three. And then the next drive that Oregon, you know, the one after that field goal in the third quarter, that was the death drive. That was the mm -hmm. seven and a half minute. minute. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just cr like, yeah, that just ends with that Cam McCormick touchdown to put the Ducks up by 22 points. And, and, and in my opinion, that's when garbage time sets in, you know, at that moment. Um, uh, and, and like, yeah, you know, effectively, Oregon did that to them, even though they lost the coin flip. Um, right. Well, which is to like read, to read some of the other coverage of the game and like that, that onside kick, it's like. It, somebody said that apparently the offense after they scored the touchdown 
before the onside kick, went back to the sidelines. They knew it was coming, but they all spread out along the sidelines so it didn't look like they were all standing, you know, 10 yards away mm. from where the kick was going to go so they could, you know, jump up and down if it was successful. So it's just all of this uh, behind-the-scenes machinations going on to try yeah. to do, do everything possible to make that a successful play. Yeah, and I was really in, I, I, listening to Dan Lanning's um, post-game, you know, presser. He sort of, like, peeled the curtain back a little bit. The post-game pressers are always interesting because the coach is still riding a bit of a high. And, yes. like, he's often a little less guarded in his comments. Like, he's sort of, like, still kind of happy that he pulled off some shit. Um, <laughs> I sort of get the sense. And so he was saying, like, yeah, we, we picked up that UCLA's, you know, kick return formation looked like that, you know, early on in our film study of them and i went back actually and and looked because i still had all that ucla tape sitting on my drive and you know i, I was like but i don't really review special teams so i usually skip through that stuff so then i'm like right. looking so i like very quickly scanned through all the previous ucla games and he's right they're showing the same kick return look that is actually a little different they changed it between the first game and the second game from but from the second game on they were showing the same kick return look with the way that their first two up men are lined up um and and he actually said the first kick you know because they because because, uh, uh, you know, Oregon got the ball first, kicked a field goal, and then they had to, you know, kick to them. The first time, you know, they kicked to them, it was the best look, and they were actually thinking about it, but they were like, this is too early. And then the second time was a little worse of a look, and actually the third time, he said, was the worst look yet, but it was still good enough that they did it. And I was like, man, that is a level of attention to, like, where exactly dudes are lining up on a play that I pay no attention to. Yes, like. Right. Um, all I wanted to see was Boyle kick the ball at the back of the end zone because like one sneaky advantage that like a lot of people didn't um, pay attention to uh, is that like their return man, Casimir Allen, is pretty much the only real fast player that they've got. And UCLA had one of the best um, starting field position advantages in the country. Like he was routinely picking them up an extra five to ten yards, you know, so they were starting on like their own 35 usually, whereas most teams start on the 25. Um and like so I was just like Boyle kick this thing out the back of the end zone dude like every single right. time I want you to I want this thing you know I think the commentator said like wow that one landed in Roseburg um which that's <laughs> not how the stadium is oriented but whatever um <laughs> that's all right <laughs> it's actually one of the few east west stadiums but anyway uh, um yeah so uh the, you know uh, what what attention to detail to be able to pick that stuff up and then stealing a possession is great you know right. um I, 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 you know, I was really impressed with that. But then, like, really, you know, I, I finished, you know, because I published my article this morning and I fin finished running the numbers and just the efficiency numbers. Like, mm -hmm. it's true that in this game that both teams' offenses had an advantage over, you know, their opposing defense. But Oregon's advantage over UCLA's defense was simply bigger than UCLA's advantage over Oregon's defense. Um, uh, from an efficiency perspective by a little bit, but more importantly, like Oregon was just, they were very effective defensively at, at playing back and preventing UCLA from getting big yardage. They really did like UCLA has maybe like two big ish plays during the game, but almost all of their games are like five yard runs, nine yard passes. Um, like they're really not hitting the longer stuff at all. And it's true that UCLA like methodically marches down the field, but like 
that plays into Oregon strategy, right? Because Oregon wants to eat right. the clock, right? Like, yes. you know, so if you, so Oregon was not only forcing him to march the field, but then they were forcing him to kick field goals. Yes, um, the, perf- the perfect outcome, uh, right? Well, perfect outcome would have been three, three and out. And, you know, that wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get that. But the next best is you take four and a half minutes off the clock and you only get three points out of it, yes. which, like, yeah, you know, so, so yeah, the efficiency numbers really took a hit. You know, they were, you know, you know, like 40, 47, you know, pass and run. Um, and there's a couple breakdowns and there's some third downs that I think Oregon's defense would like to have back. Cause I think they really could have them off the field if they had tackled better on several of those third downs. Um, but you know, they, they accomplished their, if not tactical mission in that sense, their strategic mission, which was, you know, reduce their points per, per play. Um, in number to a, a really poor ratio. Um, and then the stealing of the possession just sort of accelerated that, you know, it meant that the game went into garbage time earlier than it otherwise would have, right. but it was, that was going to happen. You know, it's not like Oregon stole the game. They just ended the game faster because of that, because, you know, because on the other hand, Oregon's offense, which I think anybody who's watching that game could see, like, you don't need me to tell you this, like, Oregon's offense just could do whatever the hell they wanted. They could play fast. They could play slow. They could run. They could pass. They could get explosives. The only thing that they didn't really get were truly explosive plays, like like 40-plus yard plays, because UCLA's defense was basically playing a similar philosophical strategy to Oregon's defense in the sense that they were trying to take away big plays. And they did. They their, their safeties tackled well. They played them back. They didn't take bad angles. You know, and so, like, but... Unlike UCLA's offense, Oregon's offense was getting, you know, 10 to 14 yard runs and 15 to 25 yard passes. You know, that that was the difference in the game was that, you know, Oregon was able to do that and UCLA wasn't. Um, And, you know, that's what made it like I don't want to say the onside kick was irrelevant because it definitely wasn't. It affected the game in in a number of ways. But like if that didn't happen, if they just kicked normally, um, Oregon still you know, I, I'm very confident in saying that just the numbers indicate that Oregon would have won, you know, re- regardless. It just would have taken to the fourth quarter in order right. for that to happen. A closer game, but but uh, still an Oregon win. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, like, you know, it was, I mean, really, the, the, the I appreciated from a strategic level, you know, that, you know, hey, you're facing a really scary offense that is really hard to break down with you know the best quarterback that you're going to play and you know like implement some strategic moves in order to to deal with that but like so you know i definitely appreciated that but what i the the other thing and maybe the thing that i appreciated more was just like this offense is incredible like i mean just like they can do whatever they want. And UCLA's defense, like I, you know, in raw stats, UCLA's defense, you know, looks really, really good. When I broke them down, I was like, actually, when I look at the efficiency numbers and cut out garbage time and, and exclude the couple of games that were just trash games, like UCLA's defense looks about as bad as everybody else in the Pac-12s, but like, hmm. but looks about as bad as everybody else in the Pac-12s, like, you know, no, you know, I haven't encountered yet a team that I've, you know, charted in the Pac-12. It's like, oh, they're sneaky better than you think they are. Right. Um, well, there is actually a team that's like that, but nobody believes me when I say it. Um, and that team is the now. Oregon Ducks. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, 
no, actually, the the classic. best team, the best defense that were that's in the Pac-12, at least according to my charting so far. Um, although I haven't really, uh, you know, I, I haven't finished my Utah charting yet, so like that's I'll hold that out as a possibility. Um, but Wazoo actually grades out pretty yeah. well. Interesting. Um, yeah, and we're going to put yards of offense on them. <laughs> yeah. I thought that uh, Oregon State looked pretty good when they played USC. Oregon State, I really have not seriously charted yet. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Like, it just hasn't, like, the schedule has just lined up in such a way. Sure. Um, on the other hand, I will have their entire season worth of film yes. to get through when it's the week for, for the platy. So, yeah, I won't be lacking in it or anything. It's just like it hasn't happened yet. Like, I don't, beats me. Um, yeah. I'd be surprised if it were actually a really good defense. I, I sort of suspect they just sort of been playing cruddy teams yeah and, and and of course when you play usc you're at a, you're hyped up more than you might be if you're playing colorado or something so yes yeah. that, that can also help explain just the from a uh, attacking standpoint I yeah i mean honestly the, the couple of teams that that folks sort of hold up as having like oh this defense looks you know pretty good or, or as you know cal and and oregon state you got to remember to like you know uh Cal's defense looked pretty good until they played Washington and Washington just, Oh my God. So that was like, I, I watched that one. Yeah. Well, let's hold off on that. Um, yeah. I sort of, I, I, there's, there's a clear like line of demarcation in the PAC 12 this year between good offenses and bad offenses that happens, you know, like there's one, two, three, four, five, you know, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Utah, and Washington. And then everybody else's offenses are like, they're they're sort of one dimensional you know so like arizona can mm -hmm. throw the ball but that's all they can do right. you know and, and 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 like oregon state can run fairly well but that's all they can do you know so forth and so like if you haven't played like a couple of those teams yet your your uh your, your defensive numbers sort of get inflated um and frankly i th you know even my numbers about were oregon's defense are probably you know victim to that because they've only really played one you know pretty good defense or offense yet and that was ucla right. what else uh, uh caught your interest about this game I just I, looking through your uh, your article. To me, the amazing thing was just the efficiency numbers. The and, and for everything, for on, especially on the offensive side of the ball, where uh, whether it was running or passing, they were having great success doing it. And and that also, I think, is a, a tribute to the offensive coordinator, who is does a fantastic job of like mixing up plays and. Yeah. and uh, misdirection and all kinds of crazy things going on uh, in in the offensive sets, and you know they run they run Bucky uh, Irving out on a wheel route, and all of a sudden <laughs> there's nobody around the guy for 15 mm. yards, and he's off to the races. Oh, um, that one was that one was fun because that's a Chip Kelly special that mesh yes. rail play. Um, yep. You know where you get, where you get the defense peeking in the backfield, and then you run somebody up the sideline. He's you know nobody's covering him. Yeah, that rail shot. Um, yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's a Chip Kelly play. Um, there's a lot of there was a lot of discussion in the game thread about uh, Oregon or Lanning or 
uh, Dillingham flexing on chip by using things like the onside kick and using things like this wheel route pass to Bucky Irving and, and so forth. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really I don't get the sense that the this staff is like interested in doing stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of so. juvenile, but um, well, and especially given but like the you fact see that, a good play or you see a good move and you're going to steal it. Like this is a very right. like, cannibalistic. You know, every artist is a cannibal. Every poet is a thief. How does the song go? Um, yeah. Well, especially yeah. taking a chance on the with the onside kick, if it's successful, you're a genius. If it fails, uh, UCLA's got great field position, and you've you know given them something that they're anxious to have. Uh, so, it, doing it just to to uh, you know stick it in Chip's face seem would seem to be at that point in the game would seem to be kind of a dumb thing to do. Yeah, um, but I did appreciate there was a lot of like good sequencing, or there was a lot of like you know, one, two combos where, you know, so like one of the touchdowns, it you know, they run, I think even the commentator picked up on this. So like, it must've been obvious um, where like they, it's a, it, it's, it's an option pitch, although Nick's winds up keeping it. And then, you know, when he runs for, I don't know, nine yards or so. And then uh, the, and then the next play, they line up in exactly the same formation, and he starts to pitch the ball. And you can see the safety react. You can right. see the safety, you know, two beats earlier than the last play, start to come down on it. And then, you know, and then the throw is just there, you know, like right. it's and it's just gorgeous. And it's like, yeah, and there's a bunch of those, um, uh, you know, run pass combos or rush rush combos so like when they got out there in that 21 look with um whittington and dollars and they run you know one play to one guy's side so that you know so that dollars is lead blocking for whittington and then the next play they line up in the same formation but run the opposite way so now you know whittington is blocking for dollars uh yeah i dug that you know i i i there there's there's a bunch of or like the I formation, which I've been geeking out about, like they ran two new plays out of it in this game and they'd already run seven different plays out of it. Right. Like wow. inside power, outside power, fullback dive, quarterback sneak, a little leak out by the tight end, a bootleg that turned into a scramble, um, that tight end jet sweep motion. Um, and then in this game, they added a, a fullback wheel to Herbert, which I put that clip in my article because it was so sweet, like the safety's just staring in the backfield and he's just not, you know, covering it at all. Um, and uh, and then in garbage time, they did a, a another bootleg. Um, um, but like the, the first time they did a bootleg, it was in the red zone. And so the route structure had to be a little different. This one, I think they were snapping it from like the 25. Um, and, uh, you know, the it was yeah, Matt of our refer to I forget it, who, but like he runs a little, you know, up and out um, route to it and and, uh, and hit that pass. Too. So now Oregon has run inclusive of garbage time, nine different plays out of the I formation they're debuting like one or two new plays out of the I formation every time. They're also not lining up in the I formation the same way every time. They're sometimes they have the right guard and the right tackle flipped. Um, sometimes they have Connerly on the left or on the right. Um, you know, sometimes they do it as a tackle over, sometimes as a not tackle over. Um, in this game, they also added another wrinkle where instead of doing it was still like 23 or 14, if you prefer, um, personnel, but they'd split one of the tight ends out. So there was only, um, you know, three tight ends in the box. You're well, mm -hmm. if you count, you know, Connerly and the fullback as tight ends. Um, 
and uh, and so that created a little bit more space, you know, to run, um, you know, because they had to have somebody out over the split out tight end in order to cover him. Um, uh, yeah, so it's like. I dig this man. Like there's a lot you can do out of it. And given the, like the only I formation that I've been seeing in the pack 12 for the last 10 years was when Stanford was running it. And when Stanford was running it, it was like just nothing but inside or outside power. Um, yeah. yeah like, like here, let's take this. And- yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, let's take this formation that's like associated with stodgy old, you know, football teams and do like, you know, fun stuff with it. I was like, yes, yes, yeah. this is such a treat. Everybody's looking for a dive play or something, and yeah. whoops! I mean, they can run the dive. They did, sure, like, sure. Um, <laughs> now it's great how they make the defense think they're seeing the same thing that they just saw, mm-hmm. and react as they should have reacted the first time, and then do something completely different that catches those guys out. It's amazing to be able to feed on the tendencies of the defensive players. And then the other thing, or another interesting thing about this game, is that UCLA was sticking to cover two for almost the entire game, and they really only went down to, to a single high look. Uh, There's only about three plays, uh, and one of them was the bomb to to Franklin, mm-hmm. and, and like I appreciated that too. It was just like, okay, that's what you're gonna do. Now we'll break out the the, the deep shot, and like, what a pass. I mean, we just yeah. Rough, that's two, two games in a row where there was just a pinpoint shot uh, like that, uh, where only your guy's going to get it. Yeah, just place right there. And I mean, that's the that's the athletic advantage that Oregon has too. Is just like mm-hmm. there's you know, if if you've only got single coverage on one of Oregon's receivers, that like, sorry, there isn't a, you know, they they, they, they there just isn't a cornerback. Maybe Clark Phillips at Utah. Um, but there, you know, really there's not much, and even he's like, not exactly that. Uh, he's just like really twitchy and like really good at covering, you know, you can't like juke him very easily, but if you like put him in a foot race with Troy Franklin, I think he would lose. Um, but you know, there's just nobody on the schedule who, who can hold up in one-on-one coverage against Oregon's wide receiver talent. Um, they're, they're just like faster than you are. And it's like, you know, sorry. Uh, it's just, you know, God. God made you that way. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. Ooh, what an advantage, you know, to have, it's just like, well, you know, you can, you know, you, the only way you're going to be able to prevent, you know, one, one play touchdown drives is playing cover two and playing them back. And what you're giving up by doing that is that Oregon's going to run for 10 yards a carry, you know, cause you don't have any safeties in the box, uh, in order to stop this stuff. Um, right. like, you know, you, okay. Opposing defenses, you tell me how you're going to deal with that. <laughs> like, even if Oregon wasn't doing anything else, those two facts, like you either play your safeties back and give up a million, you know, 10 yard runs, or you, you play your safeties in the box and you give up single play touchdowns. Like yeah, beat up the e- top all day. Yeah, just like the, those two facts alone, you know, if you have both of those qualities, which which the reason why Oregon has both of those qualities is not just the recruiting, you know, they, they have, good, you know, good backs and good receivers, um, and, uh, but because of the offensive line, um, like that, those are really like the given the game ball guys, like there's this line is performing at an extremely high level. Um, and that means that Nick's has all the time that he wants to throw the ball. And it means that the running backs 
you know, are running eight yards before anybody touches them. Um, you know, and that's an advantage that nobody else in the Pac-12 has. Like nobody else in the Pac-12 has an offensive line that can guarantee those things. Like second place, you know, second best offensive line in the Pac-12 is a million miles away. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, I see it every they, week. They don't get talked about enough, and they don't get enough credit for the stuff that that is happening on the field. Because, as you point out in in a lot of your video uh, clips. Look at these great blocks. Look at how this guy gets to the second level. Look at this and, and how you know they're holding these guys where they should. And it's really amazing to watch it after the fact where, you know, you're watching the game and you're sort of caught up in the game and it's a little harder to see that stuff because sometimes the angles available aren't the greatest. But to look at it after the fact and say, hey, man, that guy really did that. That's amazing. I didn't even see that when that happened. Yeah, it's really hard to pick up on offensive line play live. It really is. Like, even if you're, you know, as veteran of a film reviewer as I am, I'm hardly, I'm not not live, not with beer in my hand on Saturday. Well, and the other thing is that it's so bad in the Pac-12 for, you know, 11 out of 12 teams that, like, it affects commentary. Mm -hmm. In terms of, like, everybody thinks that that's normal. Everybody thinks that that's expected. Everybody thinks that the premium quality in a quarterback is the you know ability to make magic you know out of the pocket right um because you're gonna have to you know like every other conference every other power conference like the premium quarterback skill is accurate pocket passing to all points on the field you know so that's what they're talking about when they talk about arm talent is that you can hit any part of the the field accurately you know from the pocket to execute the offense that is you know given to you by the, the 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 coaches um and in the Pac-12, the primo quarterback skill is like, oh, junk all that. You're not going to have time to do any of that. You know, like your primo is like you 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 do off schedule stuff. Um, and like, and the other thing is, you know, so whenever I publish an article where I'm like, you know, this, their offensive philosophy is just sort of undone by the fact that their offensive line can't execute, you know, what they want to do, or they're successful because they're compensating in this way or that way for the fact that their offensive line, I always get pushback from opposing fan bases. They're just like, what are you talking about? This offensive line is great. It's like, they may be great compared to your expectations of what an offensive line should be, but they're not great compared to anybody else's, you know, in the SEC or the Big Ten or anybody else um, or in Eugene. Um, yeah. you know, the, the SEC team of the West. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, if a, if, a, if a defense in the Pac-12 is making your quarterback scramble and run around looking for somebody to throw the ball to, you've got an offensive line problem. Yeah, I, I don't know. You're, you're like not that, playing that, really tough defenses in the that, first place. That that part. connection is not, you know, is somehow eludes fans. I think because they just love seeing, you know, because like who doesn't, you know, like a it's quarterback exciting. making sure. magic. Yeah, yeah. you know, Absolutely. and then it's like, you know, the metaphor I've used in the past on other podcasts is like if you go to your favorite restaurant and they screw up your order and accidentally bring you chocolate chip pancakes instead of the steak that you ordered, like – but then you're like, ooh, chocolate chip pancakes. That's fun. You had a good time, you know, eating that. If that right. happens once, okay. You know, like that was a fun, happy accident. If that happens every time you go to the restaurant, you need to stop going to that restaurant. Right. That means yeah. that there's something seriously wrong, you know, with <laughs> with that restaurant, you know. And it's like that's what, you know, the, these fans in and other fan bases often have a hard time wrapping their heads around. Like, you know, and, and so like in this game, you know, 
yes, UCLA was, was, you know, repeatedly con- getting th- third down conversions or fourth down conversions and, and, and keeping, you know, the ball moving with like five yard runs, but like, and like, yeah, Zach Charbonnet is a really tough running back to tackle and Oregon, yeah. you know, really ought to be hanging their head on for a couple of those where they, you know, they could have stopped them on third down that then he runs past them. Hey guys, what do you think it means that he's always having to run through contact and that he's always having to personally convert the play from a failed play to a successful play? You know, do you think that's a commentary in our offensive line at all? Maybe, you know, think about that. And then like, so then they UCLA, we get to the, the red zone and what happens? They kick, you know, field goals three out of those four times. Well, why, you know, so I go back and I look at the three, you, yet another duck fan asked me this in comments about the, schedule post for some reason <laughs> but anyway um the the uh you know asked me uh, okay so how could you know because Dorian thompson robinson made a comment about like well if we played better we would have played better or right. something to that effect if, your like, jo- if yeah. we did our jobs we would have won the game yeah which is like well yes i guess <laughs> you know like i think uh, they did their jobs you know just they it, couldn't do them as well and if my aunt had wheels, you know, but, uh, anyway, so I was like, you know, what could this guy re- really be talking about? And I was like, well, the closest thing I can think of it, that would have affected the game flow when UCLA had the ball anyway, was, um, w- was, uh, um, you know, getting touchdowns instead of field goals in those situations. So, you know, I went and looked up those three field goals and the three, you know, plays that immediately preceded the decision to kick. Cause mm-hmm. like those failures were the reasons why they kicked those field goals. Right. And in, in, I think like seven out of those nine plays, it's the offensive line, you know, has some sort of failure, which is like, that's why your offensive line is super important. Is there the guys who do everything, no matter what the play call is, your offensive line needs to do a good job. Um, And like, you know, so it's like a blitz that didn't get picked up or they allowed a tackle for a loss on a run play or, you you know, they uh, they had a false start or a a holding penalty, you know, and that knocked them back to be a third and long situation, you know, et cetera. Like, you know, it you know, and so like if. Uh, during Thompson Robinson's statement had any meaning, it was probably, you know, the we that he was calling out for needing to play better. You know, you could say he's probably talking about the offensive line. I'm like, well, maybe UCLA fans will listen to him, you know, when yeah, he maybe. says our <laughs> offensive line, you know, was, was not doing a good enough job to win the game. Cause when I said it on Friday, y'all jumped down my throat. Um, <laughs> but like the film don't lie, man. Like yeah. it really don't. Um, and, and, and what it tells me for like 11 out of 12 teams, or I'm sorry, the nine out of the nine teams not named Oregon that I have studied, I, like I said, I still haven't really seriously gotten to the Utah or Oregon State tape yet. Um, and I get and well, no, I I have actually watched a couple of Arizona State games bizarrely. Um, their offensive line is the same thing. Um, yeah, it's just like yeah, your line is not as good as Oregon's line, and so that gets you in trouble, or it means that you have to compensate for it by structuring your offense in a certain way, and that limits you in these things, you know. And, and like, and then you flip over and you watch Kenny Dillingham's film, and like, look, I, I want to give Kenny Dillingham some accolades for like his play sequencing and you know other like smart stuff that he's doing, but like, it's hard to be dumb when you have that advantage, you know. Right. Like, it means it means that you know everything on your play sheet is a winning play, like. Yeah. How are you going to screw that up? You know, you know, they can execute it. That's the buy-in bottom line is you have to run the things that your players that you have can execute and he can run anything he wants. Right, exactly. Like, I'm not saying that he should put his play sheet up on the wall and throw darts blindfolded in order to select plays. But I mean, if he did, it wouldn't be... (laughs) 
<laughs> a big problem. Like no, it's all green. Still execute it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that and that comes down to the offensive line. And it comes down to the talent. They have the the rest of the spots. And they have a good quarterback who like, you know, look, I'll I I'll I guess I'll keep patting myself on the back. Like this is what I said in the summer. Was like this the, the Oregon season is going to come down to how quality that, you know, I knew what they were like everywhere else, but like the the great unknown question was how good Bo Nix was going to be. Right. Um and I said, look, I can't, you know, tell you this for certain, but quarterback is the one position where you can get substantial improvement in play from a transfer. You know, every other position guys basically play at the same level they played at their last school. Mm -hmm. Um, but quarterback is somehow different, you know, like you, you can, you know, they, they can sort of click with the new staff or, you know, whatever it is. But quarterback seems to be the one where you can get a serious difference. And that, you know, from what I had looked at at Auburn, that they had, you know, they had a bad offensive line and they didn't have wide receivers who could catch the ball. And they had offensive coordinators who were like eat and paste. And I was like, look, I don't think any of those things are going to be true about Oregon. Um, and I think he's going to be facing easier defenses. And so, you know, I think if I had to make a guess, I would say that Nick's is going to see substantial improvement, you know, in his play from the scenery change and like, Hey, Hey, how about that? Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I think to some, to some degree fans were a little bit put off by Anthony Brown coming in here and, mm -hmm. and not showing the kind of improvement that uh, Nick's has certainly shown, or at least showing the, the competence level that Nick's has shown. And so there's a ton of skepticism on that. We talked about this a little bit, I think, in the, in the preseason about, you know, what the best move was as far as which quarterback to play and so forth. And, and you can understand why people would be, you know, a little skeptical, but he's sure shown he's got all the tools that are necessary to be, uh, you know, an outstanding uh, quarterback in the Pac-12 and, and certainly uh, one of the best Oregon's seen in a few years here. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming Cal game. So, Slurms, have you watched any of this Cal football team this year? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think. I must have watched because I, mean, I usually why after the Oregon game is over or before it starts, if, depending on what the schedule is. I usually try to tune into to one or two other. Pac-12 games. I'm trying to think if I've seen them play anybody, um, and I don't think that I. I'm, I can't remember it. So it was not memorable if I did watch it. Let's put it fast way that way. Yeah, it's a pretty unmemorable team. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty much done. I, I still got the their offensive side of the ball against um, Washington to chart, but otherwise I'm all done. Um, and uh, just preliminary run the numbers. And it's like, this isn't a good team. And like people talk about like, oh, well, but their defense is good. It's like, well, their defense is a little better than their offense, but that's not saying much, you know, right. like I think that's just like people trying to be polite, you know, like or like <laughs> you try to talk themselves into like, oh, well, if they could just fix the offense, this would be a good team. I'm like, no. Um and like, just like we were talking about with, you know, how good Oregon's offensive line is, like, it's really obvious how bad Cal's um, offensive line is. Like, it's really, it might, it might be the worst offensive line in the Pac-12 and like, and they don't have a real scrambly quarterback, um, you know, or at least they don't have like a real magic maker, you know, off schedule the way that some other Pac-12 teams do. And so their offense is just hideous. Um, 
I mean, it'd be hideous even if they had a really great offensive line, but they don't because like mm-hmm. Bill Musgrave is running this sort of antiquated thing. Although occasional, like it's it's kind of interesting because like Plummer is. I can see why they wanted him for that offense because it's like what they want to do is they want to run, 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 hit a play action pass. And occasionally when Plummer, you know, well, we're not really establishing the run game and we don't really have a short passing game. And so we can't really manipulate the defense in any way. But like sometimes I'm just going to throw a play action pass anyway. And then he throws a pretty, pretty nice ball. You know, he's not he's not able to do it often enough and the pocket usually doesn't last long enough for him to set up for a deep shot like that. But like and his motion is kind of slow, like he's not going to be an NFL quarterback, I don't think, um, even though that's the the skill that they want more than anything else. Um, Like uh, simply because, you know, he's not he's not really like slinging it, but like. If he has time to like set up and throw, he throws a pretty nice rainbow. It's a nice smooth throwing motion. There isn't like any flaw in in that aspect of his game, other than it's not you know it's sort of a slower wind up. Um, so like I understand why they wanted him, and I wouldn't be surprised if he actually hit a couple more explosive plays against Oregon than UCLA did, because um, Oregon's probably going to focus a little more on taking the run away from Cal because that's the much more efficient part of their game. Um, but like. Uh, uh, yeah, no, like Musgrave's offense is just like, it's painful to watch. Um, they don't have the tight ends to, to execute it. Um, like that's the other thing is they want to run like a tight end heavy offense and they, their tight ends are not good. Um, and, uh, and so it's just like it, 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 yeah, it's painful and, and they make like screwy decisions too. like the other things. I don't think he's like a very good play caller, you know, it's like situationally or like se- sequentially. So like, they lose to Colorado. That was a game they right. should have won. Even with all the problems that they had in that game, they're still with like a minute left in the game. They're in the red zone down by three points. And they call three bad passing plays and kick a field goal to go to overtime. Like instead of just running the ball against right. Colorado's defense, like they should have just run the ball four times, punched it in, you know, gone home 17 to 13. Um, but instead they go to overtime and like, frankly, they, they sort of got hosed a bit in overtime, but like, who cared? Like the fact that you were in overtime against right. winless it's your Colorado. Own, it's your own fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it totally was everything, everything about that loss was Cal's fault. So even though there was some weird stuff and like, yeah, you play that game 10 times and Cal probably wins eight of them. Um, like you, it's not like, you know, it's not like anybody was cheating. You know, like right. they definitely were responsible for all those things. And like, that's real Cal too. Like, that's not like, oh, we were out all these different dudes that we totally need, but we're getting them back for the rest of the season. So don't, you know, sweat about that. Like, nah, that's real Cal, you know. <laughs> well, their scoring offense has sure been anemic. Uh, you know, their last three games, they've scored 9, 13, and 21. Yeah. Uh, against you know and and so against Washington State is the nine which is the best defense that they would have faced yeah. uh, over that stretch and so it's it's hard to imagine they're putting up a bunch of points uh, against the Duck defense. Uh, yes, that would be hard to believe. Um, which of course means it's definitely going to happen because yeah, you know yeah. they've got they have to bring some freshman quarterback off the bench that's never taken a snap. Yeah, right. It, it's yeah, <laughs> Noah Fafita will come in. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's Strawberry Canyon. It's just like it's a really like it was just a 
uh, mausoleum against Washington last week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just, I mean, Marshawn Lynch called him out on national television with profanity. Wow. Um, wow. For not, I mean, it was the best part of the game. The best part of the game was Marshawn Lynch, you know, throwing around swear words with Tiffany Blackman, uh, you know, on the sidelines. <laughs> and they kept, like, kind of nudging him towards the yeah. cart, if, you if know, to like, take that, a ride. Please. You know, I was like, and it was great because, like, the more they were goofing around with Marshawn Lynch, the less they were showing or talking about the game, which was a okay by me. Yeah, um, much more entertaining. Yeah, right. And anyway. like, the, and 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 I was listening to Marshawn Lynch and Tiffany Blackman rather than Rod Gilmore and Dave Fleming, yeah. which like that's another win. Um, and, and then the second best thing about the game was that you know on the one of the rare times that Cal Blitz they brought like seven dudes and uh, and and so Panix throws the ball away and he skips it off the end zone so hard that it hits a photographer and he loses his balance and he falls over and it was hilarious. Oh, no. And then I found out later that the photographer in question was um, one of the UW uh, 247 site moderators who's a Hooray. who's a real jerk ass, um, frankly, uh, on that board. I don't know why the, their fans put up with that behavior out of their mods. Um, and so knowing that it was that dude who biffed it, like, uh, yeah. and it was Penix who did it to him, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like the second best moment of the game. It was <laughs> perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, the, the it was no, you know, for, I mean, the the thing, just because I've just finished charting it, uh, uh, right before we hopped on, actually, I was I finished charting it. I ate dinner and then I got on with you, Slurms. Um, uh, is that like Cal? Their entire the entire game, like like, like I said, I think they blitzed once in the, in the whole game. Um, you know, they were they were like we've been talking about other defenses over the course of this podcast. They were playing back. They were playing cover two. They were trying to take away the explosive plays in Washington, and, and they were just sort of like daring Washington to go on fifteen play drives. And sure enough, like it, the first four drives, it worked. It you know it was. Mm-hmm. Field goal, field goal, missed field goal, punt, because, you know, Washington, they were happily, you know, taking those five yard plays every single time. And Cal's defense looked bad, you know, like, you know, it'd be like that dude's wide open for five yards and then you gave him another five, you know, but like, but they weren't getting 15 or 20 or 30 out of it, you know, like that. So that was Cal's strategy and that they were just letting them go. Um, and, and then they, you know, that Washington would run out of steam and, and kick field goals or have to punt. And like, and so that's how they go into that. Even though they had four possessions where they moved the ball on all four of them in the first half, they had six points to show for it. Mm-hmm. Of course, Cal had zero. So, <laughs> um, the, the, the other side of the equation didn't pan out the way the golden bears would have liked there. But then the um, thing is about Cal is that they're, I don't, I'm not sure exactly why this is the case. I, I sort of think it's because they don't have a lot of talent and what talent they do have. They're not able to rotate very effectively. Um, but they're the Cal in the third quarter has the worst pack defense in the pack 12. They dip from, they dipped down to 33.6% efficiency, defensive efficiency against all plays, um, which is really bad. You know, opposing offenses succeed on about two thirds of their plays against Cal in the third quarter and against runs. It's 23%. Like that's like the, I think it's just their defensive front is just tired. It's just tired as hell in the third quarter and (laughs) they just get destroyed. Um, And so it's like Cal, if you're not scoring points, you know, in the first half and then you go into the third quarter. And, and so like defensively, it's like, yeah, they limited Washington to six points, 
in the in the first half, they then get you know what was twenty four points you know in the or or, or twenty two point. There's a two point conversion somewhere in there. I think they get three touchdowns and one of them is a two point conversion. So that's how they get to twenty eight. Um, uh, you know, in the second half, because like, yeah, of course that happens, you know, and like, you know, I put up like Twitter clips of them just getting like embarrassed, you know, where like they don't know how to align, you know, uh, you know, can mm-hmm. configure themselves before or after timeout. There's this one play that Washington gets a touchdown on where like the 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 linebacker is required to cover this guy in coverage and he just like he sort of runs with him at first and then he stops and kind of backs off and then he watches the dude catch a pass and then he just fails to tackle him and the guy goes and runs gets a touchdown and i was just like it was the laziest play that i'd ever seen and like it wasn't a a one-off for that particular linebacker i've got a bunch Mm -hmm. of clips in that game of him just like you're nowhere near where you need to be. And then when you realize that you're super slow at running over to him and making the tackles, just like this guy, Oregon is just going to pick on that particular dude all game long. Um, yeah, seriously. Yeah. And I just like, I don't know, like it, it not, I don't know. I know exactly what's going to happen to this defense. Like it's not going to look good against Oregon's offense. Um, and particularly not in the third quarter. Uh, good to hear. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> And so, like, I don't know, like, like, you know, Oregon's been pretty um, fortunate on the turnover front uh, in terms of like they haven't turned the ball over very much. Um, And uh, and they've been pretty good at preventing explosive plays. So, like, I just the you know, hey, it's the Pac-12. You got to get a scare. Um, you know, right. look, some crazy stuff will happen and Oregon will turn the ball over and Plummer will hit some explosive pass and, you know, they'll be up like 10 to zero, like some crazy thing will happen mm-hmm. where, right. you know, and Oregon fans are going to be like, this can't be happening and burning down their houses or whatever. Like I, I like <laughs> for no reason, like not for any reason that the film tells you that this is going to happen. It's going to happen because of Pac-12 you know, screwery, uh, that this mm-hmm. is going to happen, you know, but then Oregon will, you know, because I think this is a pretty good coaching staff that doesn't let their team panic. You know, they'll just like, Oh, well, we'll just overpower you so that, you know, by the end of the third quarter, it's like 48 to 10, you know, right. and everybody like forgets about the scary moment. Um, you know, that's sort of what I'm looking at for this game. Well, it sounds like fun. I'd take that outcome. Well, and, and uh, what I'm looking forward to in interviewing Rob Wong uh, this week um, is, you know, because it sort of feels like the Cal fan base is starting to turn on Justin Wilcox, which I think is about three years too late. But, you know, he's one of the longest tenured coaches in the pack. This is year six for him. And like Everything, if they miss a bowl yeah. in year six. Yeah, uh, it's just like I don't understand. Uh, how how can you keep? Oh, well, I do understand how you can keep them. It's because they have no money. They literally poured all of their money into a hole in the ground because um, Memorial Stadium is built on an earthquake fault, right. and they took out just insane Absolutely. loans in order to, you know, repair it um, and, and structurally, you know, uh, retrofit it. And like they've got wow. no money, and they had to sell a bunch of like they. they they planned to sell a bunch of like thousands of season tickets in order to pay for this. And like, who's paying for a season ticket to watch a Justin Wilcox football team, yeah. you know, like doesn't sound like it's working given the turnout, uh, you know, against yeah. Washington. So, yeah, I know, man, it's just like, they're, they're in a really bad spot. Like, um, which of course means they'll humiliate the ducks. <laughs> it's just, of course <laughs> it goes without saying. All right. Uh, on that cheery note, I think that'll do it uh, for this week. Uh, Thurms, uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us? 
Now, you know, just looking forward a little bit uh, to, to the softball uh, inter-squad scrimmage and then obviously this weekend's big game. It's always fun to to have the Ducks uh, be favored to win and to go in there and smash them in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, I hope, yeah uh, I hope so too. All right, take care, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.